This is the Reformed Libertarians Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute with Carrie Baldwin and Gregory Baus. We explore free society from a Reformed perspective. You can find us at reformedlibertarians.com. We talk about culture, society, politics, economics, theology, philosophy, worldview, and more, helping those interested in liberty and human flourishing to think about them based in the Reformed faith. This is episode eight. We're discussing the Poitiers option, or the peaceful underthrow of the state. I'm Carrie Baldwin here with Gregory Baus, and we'll be talking about Etienne de la Boitie's essay, The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude, and discussing Murray Rothbard's 1975 introduction to an English translation of la Boitie's essay. We'll give an overview of the introduction, say a little bit about la Boitie's life, address a possible objection, and highlight the central idea of the essay and intro. We link, as always, in the show notes to both the essay and Rothbard's introduction, as well as to the audio versions of the intro and the essay. In the audio version, Rothbard's intro is about an hour, and La Boutie's essay itself is also about an hour and 20 minutes. Murray Rothbard was a leading economist in the Austrian or praxeological causal realist school, a primary founder of libertarianism and a genius polymath in economics, political theory, and economic and political history. And we have a link for him in the show notes as well. Gregory, why don't you start us off? How could we summarize what Rothbard covers in his introduction to La Boutie's essay? There are several points to mention. The introduction is somewhat lengthy, but really helpful in grasping Labatee's views and how they can be applied. So let's alternate in summarizing. Rothbard begins with a summary of Labatee's biography and provides some historical context for the discourse, mentioning how it was appropriated by the Huguenots or French Reformed of the time in their resistance to tyranny. He then discusses the method of the discourse rather than being an exposition of particular scripture passages or being a specific historical legal argument. The discourse reasons in terms of universally applicable principles. Right. Then Rothbard explains the central premises of the discourse, namely that tyranny ultimately depends upon popular acquiescence or compliance of the tyrannized. And also Labouti's opposition to tyranny based on a view of ultimately God-given in nature, law, and right to liberty. He goes on to explain Labouti's primary conclusion that tyranny may be overcome non-violently through the cessation or withdrawal of the very compliance which fundamentally enables the tyrants. Rothbard then documents how these ideas were promoted not only by the reformed political resistance of the time, but also by later peaceful anarchists who applied them quite consistently to the tyranny of the state as such. He then discusses Labouti's exploration of the various means by which compliance with tyranny is established and reinforced through not only coercion, but also subsequent habit of those who comply, as well as by engineering or the manufacture of consent through the diversions of entertainments, the deception of persistent propaganda, 
and a system of favors and material benefits. That is, in Latin, panem et circensis, bread as well as circuses, from the state's plunder, not only given to the public, but also to those within the state's ever-expanding bureaucratic system. Yeah, so then Rothbard explains how Labouti believes that however entrenched tyranny might be, people can nevertheless come to withdraw their compliance with it and so genuinely undermine it. And finally, after some further historical reflections, Rothbard discusses the importance of the discourse and the encouragement it offers to libertarians and others opposed to tyranny today in implementing the strategy of en masse, nonviolent, civil noncompliance. We'll also link to a Flashes of Liberty minicast on Labati from you, Carrie, that covers the main idea of his discourse. But here's a bit of what Rothbard says about Lavoisier's life and the French Reformed connection. Etienne de Lavoisier was born in Sarlat in southwest France in 1530. Orphaned at an early age, he was brought up by his uncle and received his law degree from the University of Orléans in 1553. He became a member of the Bordeaux Parliament the following year and was a judge and diplomatic negotiator until an early death in 1563 from some illness or other at the age of 32. Labotie's great contribution to political thought, the discourse of voluntary servitude, was written likely around 1552 at age 22 while he was a student at the university where he imbibed in the spirit of free inquiry that prevailed there. In this period of questioning and religious ferment, the University of Orléans was a noted center of free and untrammeled discussion. So Labouti's main teacher there was the fiery Anne de Bourg. He later became Huguenot, or Huguenot, that is, French Reformed, and a martyr burned at the stake for heresy against Romanist teaching in 1559. Du was not yet a Protestant while instructing La Boutie, but was already trending in that direction, and it was no accident that this university soon became a center of Calvinism, that is, Reformed Protestantism, nor that some of La Boutie's fellow students became Huguenot leaders. One of these was Labouti's best friend at the university and de Berg's favorite student, Lambert Danu. It was in an atmosphere of open philosophical inquiry, as in the law schools of Orléans and other leading French universities in which John Calvin himself, two decades earlier, had begun to develop his ideas of Protestant reform. And it was in such atmosphere that legal scholars were to form one of the most important centers of Reformed strength in France. I just want to add, I think it's telling that Reformed Protestantism was really nurtured amid questions about how we are to respond to tyranny. The religious tyranny Martin Luther resisted went hand in glove with political tyranny. And while Luther was known for opposing the violence of the peasant revolts, Calvinism developed in the context of the idea of nonviolent resistance to tyranny. Labouti's discourse was first published, though partially and anonymously, in the Huguenot pamphlet Wake Up Call to the French, 
1574 by Nicholas Barnaud, with the collaboration of Theodore Beza, Calvin's successor in Geneva. Labotte's call for mass civil disobedience was also picked up by another Huguenot pamphlet in 1575, which advocated an association of towns and provinces for the purpose of refusing to pay taxes to the state. The full text with the author's name appeared for the first time a year after that in 1576 in a collection of Huguenot essays compiled by Simon Goulard, a reformed minister at Geneva. So that's a bit of the historical context. But Carrie, right off the bat here, I want to bring up an objection that might occur to some of our listeners as it occurred to me when I first heard the main idea of what we're calling the Boiti option or the strategy of the peaceful underthrow of the state. If what Labouti proposes is that tyranny ultimately depends upon popular consent so that such tyranny can be nonviolently overcome through the withdrawal of the very consent that enables it, what about consent of the governed? If legitimacy or legitimate civil government or the just power of civil government is by consent of the governed, then doesn't Labouti's view render all tyranny somehow legitimate? Yeah, so we do affirm consent of the governed as a prerequisite for legitimate civil governance, most definitely. And the first thing we would say is that this sort of consent Labouti is talking about isn't what we would call informed or genuine consent. Just think about what genuine consent must be like when required in other obligating contexts. I've mentioned previously the parallel of tyranny to abusive relationships, for example. And always the key to resisting abusive relationships rests in the victim, not the abuser. Like the tyrant, the abuser likes the power they wield. Why would they back down? The victim needs some level of awareness for their situation and some courage to do what it takes to effectively resist. And we would not say the lack of such awareness for or courage to resist gives any legitimacy to the abuser's actions. In fact, both the abuser and the tyrant want you to convince yourself that you've legitimized them through your passivity. So that's why what Labouti's speaking of we've referred to as acquiescence or mere compliance. It's not the sort of consent that's needed for real political legitimacy, but he's speaking of a critical mass of people going along with illegitimate tyranny. When we go along with the tyranny inflicted upon us, we're not legitimizing it, but we're contributing to the perpetuation of it. Second, it's important to remember that when it concerns monopoly civil government, One's particular consent isn't actually a deciding factor. They will tax and serve you whether you've consented or not. It doesn't matter if you're okay with the police or seatbelt laws or mask mandates. In reality, your specific consent is irrelevant to tyrants claiming a right to govern you. As a simple matter of fact, the state, just like the abuser, doesn't care about your consent. And that's certainly an indication of their illegitimacy. What they care about is the ease by which they get away with their abuse. They want enough people tolerating them 
and tolerating what they're doing so they can get away with it. Well, that's absolutely right. I'm reminded that Johannes Althusius actually makes that connection explicit in his work, Politica, of the state being an abuser and relating that to abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. I think those considerations answer the objection. Just to elaborate on your point about affirming genuine consent of the governed as a prerequisite for legitimacy, we should also say we hold that the ultimate origin or source of legitimate civil governance, as with every kind of legitimate authority, is God and his prescriptive ordinances. People then can more or less conform to what God has ordained to his various norms. Be sure to check out episode two at reformedlibertarians.com slash 002 on what Romans 13 says about civil government for more on that and the fact that God does not ordain tyranny. Genuine legitimacy as such doesn't originate with mere consent, though it's a necessary precondition. Even if people genuinely consented to tyranny, that would not convey legitimacy upon any unjust government or unjust law or power or unjust use of power. Now, this might raise the question of whether the idea of political representation is coherent, but that's for a future episode. In any case, Carrie, in this introduction, how does Rothbard describe Labatee's basic conclusion, what we're calling the strategy of the peaceful underthrow of the state? So Rothbard says, Labotti eloquently concludes that obviously there is no need of fighting to overcome a tyrant, for he is automatically defeated if the country refuses consent to its own enslavement. Tyrants need not be expropriated by force. They need only be deprived of the public's continuing supply of funds and resources. The more one yields to tyrants, Labotti points out, the stronger and mightier they become. But if the tyrants are simply not obeyed, they become undone and does nothing. Labouti then exhorts us to cast off our chains by refusing to supply the tyrant any further with the instruments of our own oppression. The tyrant indeed has nothing more than the power that you confer upon him to destroy you. Where has he acquired enough eyes to spy upon you if you do not provide them yourselves? How can he have so many arms to beat you with if he does not borrow them from you? The feet that trample down your cities, where does he get them if not your own? How does he have any power over you except through you? How would he dare assail you if he had not cooperation from you? Yes, Labouti goes on to say, I do not ask that you place your hands upon the tyrant to topple him over but simply that you support him no longer. Then you will behold him as a great colossus whose pedestal has been pulled away, fall of his own weight, and break into pieces. That's a great image. I'm reminded that Larkin Rose has an effective illustration of a similar point in a video called The Tiny Dot. We'll link to that in the show notes. It's definitely worth watching. You might not be able to share 
the discourse of voluntary servitude with your friends, but you might be able to share the tiny dot video. Larkin Rose also has a helpful video called The Jones Plantation, we'll link to, and is producing a feature film based on it, information about which we'll also link in the show notes. Yeah, both the Tiny Dot video and the Jones Plantation video are really well done. Larkin is really good at illustrating what Labuti is talking about here. On that note, coming to the end of the introduction, Rothbard discusses Labuti's practical upshot. That is, how despite the fact that tyranny is cemented upon society by habit, privilege, and propaganda, how a critical mass of people might be brought to the point where they decide to withdraw their compliance. Gregory, what's one of the key things Labuti mentions here? I think Labuti said the reformed opposition to tyranny needs to have a podcast. <laughs> but, but seriously, he says, those who have escaped the matrix, as it were, who understand tyranny to be tyranny and embrace non-compliance as the means to end it, should try to find and support each other and see what we can do together and to spread the message. So in terms of how that message spreads, I'm reminded of a video. The title is something about the first follower, where you see a group of people sitting outside listening to music, but one guy gets up and begins dancing. He's at first dancing alone until one more brave soul joins him and then a few more. And eventually there's a tipping point and everyone joins in. Yeah, it's weird how inspiring that video is. Yeah. Maybe it's just the enthusiasm. <laughs> but especially if you imagine instead of dancing, people catching on to illusions fostered by the state and acquiring knowledge of liberty and its genuine benefits. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded too of the Czechoslovakian velvet, so-called velvet revolution of 1989, when a critical mass of people in what is now Czech and Slovakia just said, we're not doing this anymore. And the communist regime came to an end peacefully. And it's funny we don't hear much about that one anymore. I highly doubt U.S. government schools are, are teaching about that. Well, Rothbard goes on to say, the primary task of opponents of modern tyranny is an educational one, to awaken the public to the state's process of bamboozling them, to demystify and, and desanctify the state apparatus, not simply communicating abstract ideas into particular governmental errors in advancing the general welfare, but de-bamboozling the public on the entire nature and procedures of the state itself as tyranny. The strategies of promoting decentralization, nullification, and even secession should always go hand in hand with this basic de-bamboozling. Absolutely. This is a podcast of de-bamboozling. <laughs> That's what we're about. That's right. And Rothbard ends on an encouraging note. He says, Labwati provides us with a hopeful note on the future of a free society. He points out that once the public experiences tyranny for a long time, it becomes inert and heedless of the possibility 
of an alternative society. But this means that should state despotism ever be removed, it would be difficult to reimpose statism on a society with stateless civil governance. The habit of acquiescing to the state's inherent aggression would be gone, and statism would be seen by all for the tyranny that it is. If a free society were ever to be established, then the chances for its maintaining itself would be excellent. That is encouraging, and that's where we're going to end for today. We hope listeners, if not also Labutis, The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude, are inspired to read or listen to Rothbard's introduction. Also, feel free to subscribe to our email list or comment on this episode by going directly to reformlibertarians.com slash 008. We'd love to know if you're a listener or to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening to the Reformed Libertarians podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute with Carrie Baldwin and Gregory Baus. See the website for each episode's show notes and sign up for our email list. Don't forget to rate and review Reformed Libertarians podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Find our email and social media on our contact page at reformedlibertarians.com.